Welcome to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton and on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. My name is Marco Visconti. Thank you for tuning in. On today's episode, we're getting to know a certain icon of early radical feminism through the art of theatre. At the top of the show, you heard a clip from a play entitled Scum, a Manifesto, which was put on this summer during the Edmonton Fringe Festival by Scantily Glad Theatre from Saskatoon. The play centers around the life and career of writer and radical feminist Valerie Solanas, and it takes its name from a treatise penned by Solanas in 1967 called Scum, an acronym that stands for the Society of Cutting Up Men. In Scum, Solanas argues that in order to build a liberated, civic-minded, and responsible society, all men must not only atone for the abuse and manipulation of women, but all men must be completely eradicated from society. Solanas flips the Freudian script of penis envy by positing the idea that men are incomplete beings that lack the emotional strength or empathy that women have innately. And thus, Solanas argues men lash out violently against all things feminine because of their deep-seated desire to become closer to femininity and its inherently powerful traits. Solanus's Scum Manifesto is deeply flawed in its reinforcement of gender and sexual binaries and its failure to consider overlapping systems of oppression apart from gender, like race, class, able-bodiedness, etc. But it still makes a fascinating read for being one of the first documents to take feminism to such radical, explicit heights. Underneath the anger and absurdity of Solanus's writing, there are grains of truth. Valerie Solanus was not just a man-hating feminist. She was a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, a creative struggling to feed and shelter herself, and ultimately a woman who wanted to be treated with respect and recognized for her potential. And today we still live in a society where women and femmes are continuously undermined, abused, stepped on, murdered, disappeared, and forgotten. And there are still very few spaces where feminine anger can be expressed, worked through, and transformed. In that light, it is almost a shame that Solanas is most infamously known for shooting Andy Warhol in 1968 an action which subsumed her identity as a writer and political theorist in the public eye. At this point, you're probably wondering, why did Valerie Solanas shoot Andy Warhol? As the story goes, Solanas was desperately trying to get Warhol to produce one of her plays, a play called Up Your Ass. Apparently, the script had so many scatological references that Warhol assumed it was a trap set by the police to find an excuse to arrest him and refused to produce it, or simply began avoiding the subject. Angered at what she saw as Warhol taking advantage of her and denying her success, Solanas reacted and forever cemented herself as the would-be assassin of the pop culture icon and, quote, 
the Robespierre of feminism. Which brings me to scantily glad theater, <laughs> and why they chose Valerie Solanas as the subject of their most recent play, Scum, a Manifesto. After seeing the play, I caught up with Essie Grummet and Caitlin Zacharias, the writers and performers of the show, and Daniel Spilchin, who directed the Edmonton production, about what drew them to Solanas in the first place. Here's what they had to say. Uh, my name is Danielle Spilchin. I am the director of Scum Manifesto. I'm S.E. Grummet, or Sarah Grummet. I just like to go by the uh, androgynous because uh, people tend to not take female writers seriously. Yay! Um, I'm a co-creator and actor and producer on the project. Uh, and I'm Caitlin Zacharias. I'm a co-writer and actor on the project. And uh, my favorite food is spaghetti. <laughs> Awesome, thank you. Um, so you're all from Scantily Glad Theater mm -hmm. um, from Saskatoon. So welcome to Edmonton. Hey. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying the weather. <laughs> and uh, you have a show right now in the in the Fringe that's called Scum, a Manifesto. It's really interesting because um, it follows the the life of Val or revolves around the career of Valerie Solanas, who's someone I didn't know uh, before <laughs> I read the description of your play. Uh, and she's described as the mother of radical feminism and the woman who shot Andy Warhol. And the, the play takes its name from one of her treatises, Scum, which stands for Society of Cutting Up Men. So I just wanted to start off with um, Valerie, the star of the show. How did you discover Valerie Solanas? I was doing research for another show uh, called Picasso at the Le Panagile at the when I was in university. And one of the research projects somebody had to do was about manifestos. And they found this manifesto and they thought it was really interesting. It didn't really relate at all to the play we were doing. Uh, but they brought it up knowing that I like stuff like this. And um, I approached Caitlin and I was like, this is really interesting and I think this would make a really cool play and originally we approached it as writing it as like oh let's like make fun of feminism because people take it so seriously <laughs> and then the more that we did the work the more that we researched Val and after the events of the past couple years as women kept getting kicked while they were down uh, we became more political in what we were trying to say and uh, just took actually for once took ourselves seriously mm. and come back to that so caitlin and danielle did you know who valerie solanas was before my first introduction was actually going to see the play um and seeing on stage like you did being introduced to this person and then finding out that they were a live realized human that existed and um created and destroyed mm. you know um, I don't know, for me, like, uh, yeah, when Sarah brought it along, I thought it was like, oh, look at this uh, crazy lady. Uh, <laughs> she seems like a giggle. And then we did a bunch of research and, uh, you know, you hear about some of the kind of things she did and she would, you know, do anything for, you know, a buck off the street. She would uh, pay, uh, she would get paid to stand on men's chests and stuff. Um, so just, uh, you hear about these things and it's a bit of a laugh, but then you think of, you know, uh, what kind of circumstances uh, lead somebody um, to do something like that? What kind of uh, situations, you know, um, and what pushes a woman to be as desperate and as abrasive and as harsh and hardened as, as Valerie mm -hmm. was? And so I think once we got past the kind of, you know, laughing at, you know, uh, maybe somebody we, we'd call crazy, um, then looking at to, well, 
are they crazy? Like, w- how wouldn't any of us, uh, if we'd gone through what some of the stuff that Valerie had gone through, wouldn't have any of us been in a similar situation come the end? So I think mm-hmm. that's what makes her so interesting is, you know, she's so... Um, She's so far-fetched, but she's not. She's very human, and there's something that we all can identify within in her, I think. And you, of course, you get to, Caitlin, you get to embody Valerie's mind, too, because you play her in the show. When you were going about preparing to play her, did you think about unraveling that that myth of the crazy feminist? Because I I really appreciated how sensitive your, your portrayal of her was. Yeah, um... Like, right off the top, uh, it's a lot of fun to play her because you just get to be uh, so abrasive and unapologetic. I mean, one of the first rules in audience interaction is make the audience feel safe, and yet I just go, fuck you. Like, I just, that's the first thing I say to the audience. And uh, really just pushing those limits. Um, For me as a performer, yeah, it was exciting to delve into, like, that really abrasive funnest. I think one of the first things I found about Valerie was her rhythm. When we were writing the script, um, I would just ramble, and I just found this rhythm, the way that I thought that Valerie would speak, and uh, how she spoke and and what we wrote really uh, came through uh, that rhythm. Uh, She was, you know, later in her life when she was in prison, she was diagnosed as schizophrenic. Um, and as somebody who, like, mental health is something that I've been surrounded by uh, my whole life, and I've seen, you know, many different varieties, um, there's definitely something I want to take a lot of care in approaching with Valerie. Um, I think, you know, there's different uh, symptoms and varieties of schizophrenia, and there's different ways to approach it, but I never wanted to play Valerie, you know, as, you know, uh, like, just as, like, as a schizophrenic. She's mm-hmm. somebody who... Um, was really suffering, and I really just wanted to uh, play into those feelings of uncertainty and, and paranoia and um, and constantly, you know, having so many voices just, you know, attack your mind at, at one time. So, uh, yeah, for me, it was just uh, really trying to just honor what she would have wanted in the moment and hope that that comes across. Yeah. What the fuck are you looking at? We make art, we create. 
But all uses I'm working for is the tits. You know, everything a man has ever done has been for these. And they don't even gotta get a nice set of tits. Just any old dude. Can we talk about anything else? Mm -hmm. I found uh, an interview with um, a professor from Arizona State University, Brianne Foss, who wrote a biography about Valerie. And um, in Interview Magazine a couple of years ago, she said that kind of the same thing. She loved the like absurdity of uh, Valerie Solanas, but she also found that like a lot of her writing kind of reflected the process that many women go through, like trying to grapple with the anger that they feel for the way that um, their you know women are limit uh, limited just because of their their bodies. Um, is that what moved you to write the script? I think definitely the more we work on it, the more we've used our own experiences and the more aware we've become of our experiences as women. And I think it made us more aware and it also helped us deal with some anger of uh, the world we live in now, specifically, you know, Trump's America and this, and not even America, but just our society as a whole and and women and our, you know, our struggle to to be valued for just existing and our struggle to become humans. And I think it gave us an outlet to put, or at least for me anyways, to put some of that anger out there and do something healthy with it. Um, and hopefully giving other women a permission to be angry and feel that anger and know that it's okay and that there are safe ways of expressing it and not so safe ways like taking a gun and shooting a pop, pop art idol. Um, I don't know. Yeah, for me, uh, the play was always uh, fun for me and it was always a way that I could uh, talk about something political. I wanted to talk about something that people don't want to talk about. Um, and it's a way for me to explore that um, as an artist um, and it also uh, as a comedian uh, really uh, can I touch on issues that uh, people don't want to touch on? And can I say something that um, I always think that I think comedy should push the envelope. And I don't mean just being offensive, but I love the kind of comedy where you make a joke and the best part about it is you're not wrong, you know? <laughs> and and I think that's what makes for really good uh, comedy is the deep-seated truth behind every joke. Um, for me, the show is always just something really fun to do. Um, that being said, as I researched, like, uh, f uh, feminist issues in the feminist movement and started wanting to identify as a feminist, then learning about, you know, like, yes, I can have a ha-ha about uh, some issues, but there are um, things that just outright suck and you mm -hmm. just can't laugh at. And for me, it was um, being able to identify things that I haven't been able to understand, you know, as a young woman growing up as a teenager, I was like, man, why do I feel so fucking shitty like why why does this hurt so much why why do i have to be, be made to feel this way and i always just thought that was my fault um and then you kind of learn about issues and you learn about some of the systematic oppression and and the different ways that we as a society don't realize that we put so much pressure on young women and and uh, and the things that they go through and they don't even know that they're you know persevering and they are mm -hmm. um you know for me that was just it was just a release it was like oh my god like it's not my fault. Like I shouldn't feel like shit all the time. Like, so for me, it was really liberating in that, um, you know, 
I'm not a bad person, you know, if I feel a certain way. And uh, and so my goal right now is to just, you know, um, make young women really aware of these issues and uh, and to let them know that it's not OK for th- uh, their bodies, personalities or for them to feel devalued in any way. Women, we're taught from day one, don't get your dress dirty. Use your inside voice. That's a very ladylike. Boys, get to play outside while us girls have to wait in the house for brownie to get cooked by a shitty light bulb. By the time you hit puberty, you know your worth. We're compared to these delicate flowers that are about to bloom, but some flowers bloom bigger than others, and some are just fucking cactuses. God forbid if this blooming gets the boys all excited. God forbid if you wear spaghetti straps to class, because it's your job to protect that flower, to hide it away and keep it safe. So by the time you grow up, you've adjusted. You've sidestepped to the point of thinking this is just how things are. And don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we're burning our bras and growing out our armpit hairs to get a fix in it. Don't you see, Robin? This is bigger than all that. The bra burning, the armpit hair, those are small choices. But choices that we made. And then, maybe, hopefully, women would have the courage to stand up for some of the horrific shit that is going on. And maybe young girls wouldn't have acid thrown in their faces just for going to school. And maybe we wouldn't have had warehouses of untested rape kits just sitting on shelves while their rapists walk free. And who knows, he may even become president. And maybe we would have generations of girls who've been told to sit down and shut up. I really want to talk about the music because my um, my friend my, and co-producer Rosiva, who's with me, she's like, "Oh, the music choices for the transitions <laughs> were so interesting because you have like the Velvet Underground for like the the late '60s um, scenes, which makes sense, uh, and then Taylor Swift is like this like <laughs> common like you know um, theme for the the modern storyline too. So like, why why use Taylor Swift as sort of like a you know a, a landmark of modern feminism in a way. (laughs) I think because uh, to some people she is a landmark of modern feminism and uh, to me, uh, like Taylor Swift became the butt of a joke a long time ago because I think a lot of people go, oh my God, she's like the be all and end all (laughs) of feminism. She's such a feminist and Taylor Swift represents this sort of perfect, rich, white, upper class, pretty perfect feminist. We can hate on Taylor Swift uh, like all day if we wanted to yeah. but really it's just that she represents a very exclusive very privileged um, very privileged form of feminism yeah. form of feminism and i mean like we're all white women it's like who are we to say that we're any better uh that being said i think i've seen a lot of um women who go yeah i'm a feminist and taylor swift and they represent sort of this white girl tumblr feminism um and they'll tear down other women for living their lives and making Mm -hmm. their choices it's like shave your armpits or don't shave your armpits really it's your choice and it doesn't affect me it doesn't affect what i'm doing Mm -hmm. like do what you want Mm -hmm. but don't comment on what other women are doing right yeah i think that's just it i don't think we have um like it's not like we hate no, you know uh yeah. taylor swift and especially <laughs> and you know we did have to change some of the uh jokes in the uh, previous draft because now she actually is um going through uh, a sexual assault yes, it's, yes. she won it's which done she won, yeah. and which is Thank awesome you because yeah. you know very uh seldom are we finding women are um 
you know, coming forward uh, because very seldom are they being taken seriously. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. uh, well, look at Kesha. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Um, so I believe that like, we're, we're more than willing to, uh, honor, you know, the community, you know, she's a woman and uh, does she, you know, suffer to some extent? Absolutely. But, um, you know, especially with, you know, her kind of, I'm not going to say man-hating, but she definitely has a, you know, kind of a fuck you boys attitude. And I think that that doesn't represent the kind of inclusive um, feminism that I identify with. But like, I, like Sarah said, like you can grow out your armpit hair, but that's not going to stop a, a Muslim woman from randomly being stopped at yeah. an airport. So I don't see her as being uh, somebody to follow because she doesn't represent intersectional feminism for me. Yeah, I thought mm -hmm. it was... Uh in a way, an interesting foil to Val, Valerie. Um, right. <laughs> they're, they're both creators. They're both artists. Um, um, like you said, Taylor Swift is very, like, privileged, upper-class. Um, Valerie, obviously, was um, poor. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, and way more aggressive and radical, and Taylor Swift is this very, like, um, neatly packaged <laughs> yeah. type of feminism that's very yeah. easy to... Um, I guess, digest. But in a way, I think it also contributes to this greater arc that I saw on the show is that, you know, on one hand, there's like all this pressure to be the right kind of woman and the right kind of feminine. And then on the other hand, there's all this pressure to be the right kind of feminist. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and it's like, where, where do you even go? Because either way, like you're being told what to do. And um, it's like, where's like, your that actual choice? Right. And is that's... that liberation? So I, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask, um, the three of you like have you have you did that come from your own experience of like trying to navigate you know womanhood versus feminism and being um correct at those two things for me absolutely um when i first hopped on like the feminist train i was like so angry i was like fuck men <laughs> fuck this and like i'm gonna do all this stuff and then i realized you know um if I make personal choices about my body, you know, whether or not to wear a bra or something like that, they're all very personal and selfish. And I think that self-acceptance and everything is great, but I do think that there are bigger, grander things that I need to be a part of. Um, with you, but with that being said, I did find myself being overly sensitive and I found myself almost looking to start a debate, to like look for somebody to trip up. You know, you don't, it's not a game of who's suffered more. And that's one thing I've yeah. also mm -hmm. had to realize to do is I need to be listening more than I speak. Um, so yes, I have this show, but, uh, you know, after, I definitely, as part of the community, I need to know when to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever felt that, um, mm. that tension of like. Am I a bad feminist? Am I a bad feminist? Yeah. Um, yeah. All the time. <laughs> All the time. And and I think, like, like I shave my armpits, I shave my legs, and I always, every time I have this battle of, like, I'm doing a feminist show. Is this wrong? <laughs> Is it wrong that I do this? And it's like, no. If it makes me feel empowered, it makes me feel beautiful, and whatever that means. And, I mean, it sucks that uh, beauty has to be tied to all these things that you have to do to your body. But if it makes you feel good, then do it. And if it's not hurting anybody else, then just do it. And having all these... Um, and having some discussions in Saskatoon over the past year about what our message of our show was mm -hmm. and sort of uh, changing the modern character storylines to fit this sort of, like originally their storyline was basically my character would come out on stage, read these quotes out of the manifesto, and your character would ask like, what does that mean? And then I would nicely explain <laughs> it to the audience. And it wasn't very active and it wasn't very interesting for people to watch. So with this draft, 
my character is going through each of these phases of like this is step by step guide of how we become feminists and it's not anything inherent in the manifesto like the manifesto doesn't list all these rules but these are just things that we took from the manifesto from you know social media feminism of like these are the rules and you have to follow to be a feminist and personally i break most of them yeah. i wear makeup i shave my legs i date men and women, but uh, that's beside the point. Hello, ladies on Tinder. <laughs> um, and I think that doing that, we showed that it's like, you can, you don't have to follow these guidelines and still be a feminist. You, you can, there's no, there's no 100% right way, there's no right track of, of doing this. If you want women to be equal to men and be treated like humans, then yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're a feminist. Yeah. I, yeah, I think our biggest uh, message, is, especially with our two uh, student characters, is feminism is ultimately about women having choice, women having the freedom to uh, express themselves just as much as a man would um, in the ways that they want to. Um, and I think that uh, the, one of the best lines um, is, you know, uh, her character says to mine, you know, it's really your choice. I'm done telling you what to do, but you can sit there and do nothing or you can do something the world will actually give a shit about. Mm-hmm. So it's really just about freedom uh, and, and what matters to you. And it doesn't have to be the exact same thing as the next feminist to you, but you need to be working towards something because our work is not done. And there's a lot of women who aren't in a position uh, that they can be... Uh, maybe fighting you know maybe you know going day to day is a hard enough battle so for somebody like me do i i find it hard to uh just live every single day am i in danger every single day absolutely not so i think that yes i'm in a position where sitting and doing nothing isn't the choice for me mm-hmm. complacency is death for myself for like feeling like a bad a bad feminist at times like i think it's inevitable um because there's there's like um, there's so much hypocrisy in it all but um but i don't for myself um i some of my closest friends are this like strongest like examples of feminism to me uh like a good friend of mine charlie he was woke before i even was like getting out of bed right <laughs> you know, it's like um and like seeing him kind of slip up as well and being just like oh like so using him as, a, as an example and uh, my best friend and, and roommate emma uh a literal warrior woman like oh, God, super yeah. super well trained in like stage combat and things like that um, who I see her being a great example as well of being like, you know, she has like maybe a more manly haircut, but she's like, she wears, she loves wearing makeup. She loves wearing, feeling pretty, wearing mm-hmm. dresses, but also then like other days being just like, look at my, look at my overalls and flannel, <laughs> you know, and like, and just like seeing how like different people kind of fluidly go through it. But then also seeing some of like the other really extremely strong feminists in my life also you know, being slightly judgmental and, and me being just like, oh, so you're human and not perfect. Are you better feminist if he pays on the first date? Well, no, of course he should pay. You're the woman, you've earned it. You got all dressed up, put on pounds of makeup, it's the least he can do. Are you better feminist if you wear makeup? Or heels? Or dresses? Or anklets? Come on, what are you doing? We have to get rid of it. What? All of it, everything you have that impresses women. Like? Makeup, nail polish, hairspray, lotion, Don't even get me started 
No, no, no tampons, no pads, and no goddamn panty liners. We're gonna free Welcome back to Adam and Teve on CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton and on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. My name is Marco Visconti. We just finished listening to an interview I had with Essie Grummet, Caitlin Zacharias, and Danielle Spilchin of Scantily Glad Theatre about the mother of radical feminism and the woman who shot Andy Warhol, Valerie Solanas, and the everyday tiny ways we make ourselves feel like bad feminists. If you'd like to learn more about their recent play exploring the life and career of Valerie Solanas, check out their website, scantilygladtheater.com. That's scantilyglad with a G and theater with an R-E at the end, scantilygladtheater.com. And that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, my name is Marco Visconti. Have an excellent adamant evening, my friends. Adamant Eve is a spoken word project of CJSR-FM, and our journalism is funded by you, the listeners. We produce this week's show at the CJSR studios in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, on Treaty 6 territory. For more information on our program and to send us any feedback, please visit our website, adamanteevecjsr.wordpress.com. We're always looking for more volunteers to help out, so if you're interested in learning any aspect of radio production, just get in touch. 